0: to the Retirement Made Easy podcast, a show created to be your go-to source for straightforward retirement advice. Best of all, it is presented in a language that you can understand. Are you ready for some straight talk on retirement planning without all the fluff? Well, you found the right podcast. Here's your host, certified financial planner, Greg Gonzalez. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Retirement Made Easy podcast. I'm Greg Gonzalez. Thanks for joining me today. I hope all the listeners out there are healthy and feeling well. I actually have been recovering from the new variant of COVID, got that, and man, that was no fun. Had me down and out for over a week. So glad to be back. Hopefully my voice is better and wanted to to record another podcast and answer some listener questions because we've been getting a lot of questions either by email or phone calls or coaching calls that people set up on our website, which is retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. But I thought it would be helpful. I thought it'd be fun to kind of go over some of these listener questions. And if you have questions throughout the week about retirement or things that are on your mind that we can help with, feel free to go to my website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. At the bottom, it'll say, ask Greg a question. You can submit your question right there and we'll get back with you. Also, while you're on the website, you can listen to all previous or past episodes right there. We started this podcast in 2020, the summer of 2020. So this is three years and counting. I never thought we'd get this far, but it's been fun. And as long as this podcast is helping people and providing valuable information that you can implement in your own life as you're planning for your retirement, well, we'll continue to record it and launch it on a regular basis. So again, check out the website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. So let's get this episode started and just kind of jump into some questions that we have received over the past few weeks. And these questions come from not only listeners of this podcast, but people that have reached out to us that have maybe seen our Retirement Made Easy TV program, or people who have just found us searching on the web and had questions about their retirement. So these questions are coming from all over different avenues, but a lot of them from listeners of this very podcast. And a lot of times I hear these questions, I'm like, wow, what a great question. That would be a fantastic question to talk about and discuss on the Retirement Made Easy podcast. And I kind of make little sticky notes throughout the week. Hey, talk about this. Mention this. So that's how I came up with these different questions and ideas. It's from people like you that have these questions about retirement, and they're kind of top of mind. And as a retirement planner, Monday through Friday, and even sometimes on weekends, that's all I do is help people plan for retirement. It's a 30 plus year journey for most people. And we want to make sure that we get it right. So with that, one of the questions that somebody asked was, as we're planning for retirement, how long do we as retirement planners at St. At Louis Retirement Advisors, how long do we expect or assume that somebody is going to live in retirement. So meaning what life expectancy do we assume when we're doing a retirement plan for someone? Is it 90 or 95 or age 100? It's kind of like if you're preparing for a vacation, well, how much stuff do you pack? Well, how long is the vacation going to be if it's going to be two days? Well, you don't need really to pack a whole lot. But if it's going to be a two-week vacation, well, you need to really, really pack and prepare for something like that. You might end up having a lot of luggage. So for some people, especially the people that retire earlier in life, they might be retired and their retirement years might be longer than they were ever in the workforce. So I can kind of answer this question. And generally speaking, we look at a 62-year-old non-smoking couple and statistically, Their what we call joint life expectancy is 30 years. It's 92, meaning in a traditional marriage, the wife, women statistically live longer than men. And if you don't believe me, you can ask all the actuaries and life insurance companies and all those people and they'll tell you, yeah, women outlive their male counterparts. That's just men don't live as long as women. Statistically, not all the time, not in every single situation. Sometimes you'll see where a husband outlives his wife and is a widower. But generally speaking, more times than not, it's going to be the wife in a traditional marriage who outlives her husband. So a 62-year-old non-smoking couple is projected to live 30 years, meaning the wife passes away at age 92. And I know, I know, I know, you might be saying, well, my dad passed away at 85, my mom passed away at 86, or whatever it happens to be. Well, you're not your parents, you're not your grandparents, but yes, I do agree that you do need to take that into consideration. In other words, I have a client whose mother is still mowing the grass at 94, her great grandmother lived until 103. Well, in her scenario, for her retirement plan, her and her husband, we're assuming something past a life expectancy of 92 just because she's in fantastic shape health wise. And like I said, her mother's still doing really, really well in her 90s, mid 90s, and her grandmother lived till over a 100. So for somebody like that, yes, we're going to plan longer than the average life expectancy of 92. So as a baseline, my answer is 92 for the average couple. You have to determine whether you want to be your plan to be more conservative and therefore, well, you might want to have your plan assuming you live until 95 or 98 or something like that. And of course, if you pass away before then, if you just made it till 93 or 94, well, guess what? If your plan looks great with a life expectancy of 98, well, if you happen to pass away at 93, that's just going to mean there's more money left over for kids, grandkids, and causes that you care about. The next question that came up was somebody's brother-in-law had said, oh, they told me if you invest in retirement in 60% stocks and 40% bonds, you will be just fine. And everybody should just invest in 60% stocks, 40% bonds, and take a 4% withdrawal and they'll always be fine. What do you think of this? And so I'm just going to share my opinion on this. So first of all, I would disagree with this brother-in-law or brother who stated that everybody needs to invest the same in retirement. I don't think that's a wise decision. And this is why. We're all unique individuals. Our retirement plans are all different. We've all got different amounts of money saved. We all have different... Retirement visions is what we call it at my firm. We say, hey, everybody's retirement vision is different. What sounds good to you is not going to sound good to somebody else. And we all have different goals and needs and wants. And a cookie cutter approach is just not feasible, in my opinion. I don't think the listeners of this podcast Are going to be best off or going to be happy with the outcome if they just use cookie cutter advice and do what everybody else is doing and kind of use these rules of thumb. So that's just me being honest. I think you need to have a customized approach. Now, with that being said, one of the biggest risks of retirement, this person had asked about the 4% rule and taking a 4% withdrawal from their investments every year of retirement. Well, the sequence of returns risk, if you don't know what that means, it simply means, okay, if I'm retiring at a point in time and I'm starting my withdrawals of 4%, let's just use a million dollars. And you say a 4% of a million dollars means I'm taking $40,000 a year in withdrawals. But what if the year when you retire, the market crashes? So not only is your portfolio down, but you have taken a 4% withdrawal, so it's down even more, 4% on top of what it was down, and then let's assume that the market doesn't recover right away. So we can look back at history, it's kind of fun, and say, okay, were there bad times for people to retire? And what that means is a 4% withdrawal strategy wouldn't have worked. So the answer is yes, there were certain periods of time that if you would have retired and you're looking at a 30-year Retirement, where the cost of living is going up on average two and a half to 3%. So, the 4%, the $40,000 that you were taking in this hypothetical example, the next year you're going to need to take more than that because your costs of living went up. And what do I mean by the cost of living? Well, your grocery bill, utility bills, the cost of insurance goes up over time. Property taxes go up over time. Just even the cost of registering your vehicle goes up over time, the license plates and the sticker fees. So that's why I'm just not a big fan of kind of cookie cutter ideas that might not work for everybody. I think a better approach is to say, instead of saying, well, this approach works for Most of people, or many people, and there's a high probability or a good chance that you won't run out of money in the next 30 years with this approach. I believe, I firmly believe that your retirement years are some of the most important years of your life, and you need to have a strategy. That not only gives you confidence that you've got this planned out, but you're not using some rule of thumb that works most of the time or a lot of the time. So be very, very careful when you hear this kind of stuff. Oh, this is how you should do it. This is how everybody should do it. Well, not everybody should drive the same car, believe me right? There's reasons why we all haven't gone out and bought electric vehicles. So do what's right for you. Come up with a retirement game plan that's right for you. It doesn't have to be right for your neighbor. It doesn't have to be right for your brother or brother-in-law or coworker. But I will say that overall, there are worse theories out there. And a 4% rule of thumb as far as a withdrawal strategy in retirement, it's not bad. It truly is not bad as the starting point. But don't stop there with your planning. Don't just say, okay, however I invest my money, I'll just start taking a 4% withdrawal. Whoa, whoa, there's more to it than that. And my big concern with people is if you do retire at the wrong time and the market goes down and down, and believe me, there have been recessions that lasted long, long times, and the market just didn't recover And there are other times that would have been terrific times to retire, like the early 90s. They called that the roaring 90s. The stock market went wild. People's investments did incredibly well. That would have been a great time to retire. So I hope that explains kind of what the sequence of returns risk means, because it is one of the biggest risks out there. And what really stinks about it is this is a type of risk that we cannot manipulate. You and I cannot influence whether the market is up or down the first couple of years of your retirement or not. So all you can do is put a prudent plan together that accounts for the possibility of the market not doing well those first few years of retirement. So you can kind of address that before it happens, if it were to happen, and say, okay, what if we went into a bad recession and the next four years the market really tanked or didn't do well? Well, that way, at least you prepped or you planned ahead and you've got a game plan. The next question I got was, they seem to have different savings or investment accounts at all these different firms. So they were working with an insurance agent, they were working with a stockbroker, they were working with a guy who did retirement planning and helped with their old 401k. So they had all these different, I guess, accounts, investment accounts, and there was no coordination. In my eyes, what I was looking at was like the financial junk drawer. Do you have a junk drawer? When I was growing up as a kid, my mom would just throw pens and rubber bands and all the kind of stuff. And that would be kind of our junk drawer. It was in our kitchen. And if you needed scissors or markers or whatever it is, it would just all end up in that junk drawer. And that's what these people had. They had no organization or no plan. It was like a music class. Like imagine when you were in grade school, there was a music class. But there was no music teacher, right? So you had a kid in there playing drums. You had a kid in there playing the piano. One kid was playing the guitar. There was a girl playing the violin. There was a little girl playing the flute. And it was just, they were all doing their own thing with no coordination and nobody to coach them. And that's the music teacher. The music teacher is there to kind of make sure everything, there's a rhythm to everything. And every kid is kind of playing their part. So their question was, what do I see as the biggest gaps in their retirement plan? And do I think it's a good idea to leave everything where it is at the different companies, insurance company, the brokerage outfit? And so my best advice for them was, hey, you need a plan and you need some kind of coordination here. And pick one, pick one of these different firms. And they're all nice firms. So pick one advisor that is going to be willing to step up to the plate and be the coach or be the quarterback and say, hey, let's put a game plan together here and let's consolidate everything down so we know where everything is, what it's worth, and where it's headed. And all the different accounts, savings, they have to work in coordination with the plan, not separate from the plan. And it was interesting because they said, well, the insurance person was our old neighbor and the stock guy, we knew him from church. And the guy who ran the 401k, well, his daughter- was in softball with our daughter. And believe me, I get all that. You don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but this decision is not personal. It's not that they're a bad person. You're not saying, oh, you're a jerk. We're wanting to move our account. This is about your retirement. And your retirement is too important not to plan for the most important years of your life. You just have to get it right. It's something you can't afford to get wrong. And at the end of the day, it's not about hurting somebody's feelings. If that's the case, if if you're afraid of that, I would call the person and just have a candid conversation with them and tell them, hey, we're just wanting to get serious about our retirement here. We are wanting to make sure everything's coordinated in one place and aligned with our retirement plan. And this isn't because you're a bad person or we think you're doing a bad job or any of that. It's just we're trying to consolidate everything here. And they'll understand. So that was their big gap in their retirement plan. And I think they knew deep down, hey, it's probably not a good idea to have accounts in 19 different places because you don't win a prize. Like the more accounts you open, you don't win a prize if you have the most amount of accounts. And a lot of these companies don't give you a free toaster if you open a savings account or investment account with them like they used to do in the old days, according to my grandmother. So the next question comes from somebody A listener that was asking what accounts they can open up for their grandchildren. What's the best way to go about that? What do we do for our clients at St. Louis Retirement Advisors? Well, there's a lot of different ways that you can invest or put away savings for your grandchildren. So, without knowing this person and maybe other listeners' situations, I can't give you a definitive answer. Of what may be most appropriate for your situation, for you and your grandchildren or future grandchildren. But let's talk about what some of our clients are doing. So, some of them, and I will be, when I have grandchildren, Lord willing, down the road, and this would be well, well down the road, because my daughter's very young right now. But if I had grandchildren, one of the things that I might do that probably, because the cost of college education, and secondary education is just skyrocketing and it has been for years and years and years and will probably continue, you can set up a college savings account for grandchildren and they can be the beneficiary, you would be the owner. And so you can save on a regular basis or you can write lump sum checks to this 529. In some states, there's a state tax deduction, state income tax deduction for what you contribute. And then the money grows tax-free inside of the 529. It can be used for K through 12. It can be used for trade schools. It can be used for college, university, and the rules for uses are very, very liberal. So that's one thing that people look at doing is contributing to a 529 account, very low cost in most instances, very low minimum to contribute to them. So 529s, if the money is earmarked for educational expenses, Qualified educational expenses is the term down the road for your grandchildren. That's one of the best gifts, in my opinion, that you can give your grandchildren is helping them with education, because it's something once you're in that degree or certification or whatever it may be, it is something that will live with them forever. And.